0: Thank you for listening to our Spectator podcast. Before you start, I'm happy to announce that we have a new Spectator Christmas subscription offer over the festive period. Subscribe to the Spectator for yourself or for a loved one this Christmas, and you'll receive a copy of the magazine and full online access for £99 for one year. That's £50 off the normal rate. Plus, you'll receive a free bottle of poll for your troubles. To access the offer, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash champagne. Hello and welcome to The Edition, the Spectator's weekly podcast discussing some of the most important and intriguing issues within our pages each week with the writers behind them. I'm Cindy Yu. How do you and your family spend Christmas? In the Christmas issue of The Spectator, broadcaster and author Jas Brandreth writes about the generations-old traditions in his family of playing games and reciting poetry. In this episode of The Edition at Christmas, the Spectator's features editor and resident board games fanatic, Will Moore, speaks to Giles and Mark Mason, author of The Importance of Being Trivial, about their favourite Christmas traditions.
1: Giles, please tell us about the long standing Christmas traditions that you have in your family.
2: Well, I suppose they revolve really around my father and my upbringing. My father was born in 1910. So he was almost an Edwardian. He actually was born just after Edward VII had died, and he rather regretted that. But it means that he was brought up before the era of radio, before television, before films had sound. And so he and his sisters and his brother, they made their own entertainment at Christmas. They sang songs around the piano, they told stories, they recited poems, and they played games. <laughs> they played parlour games, and they played particularly board games. My father taught me a game called Latak. And people of my father's generation, people who served either in the First or the Second World War, this was a very popular French game in origin. It was a a war game. It was based around people fighting a war. And he loved board games. And in 1936, Christmas 1936, there was much publicity about a new American board game called Monopoly. My father went to Selfridge's store in London. He was a young lawyer, queued up and bought the first set of Monopoly sold in Great Britain went back to his digs in Gower Street, said to the landlady, I got this great new game, taking it home for Christmas. Do you, you fancy playing with me? And she said, no, it's not my idea of fun, it's playing a game, but there is a, a student on, in the rooms next door to you, you could try playing with her. My father knocked on the door, met this girl, who was then twenty twenty one. played Monopoly with her that afternoon, and a few weeks later, they eloped, (laughs) they ran off together. (laughs) My sisters were subsequently born, I was eventually born, and in due course to repay the debt to my parents who literally met over a Monopoly board, I became the European Monopoly champion. My goodness. I I don't allow Monopoly played in the house anymore because it (laughs) leads to arguments, rows. I mean, do you play Monopoly at home?
1: Actually, I don't personally. For a very similar reason, is that I think it, it creates rather a lot of friction. There's also the fact, and I'm glad
3: that Giles is, after all these years of banging on about Monopoly, Giles has finally come to his senses about the game. It is the most boring game in the world. It's, and I'm sure Giles will know this. The history of the game. I'm it's actually I'm a spelling mistake. Smart. It's a spelling mistake. It should have been called monotony, because <laughs> it is the most. Te- it goes on for the average game it goes on for about seven and a half weeks. Several players die during the average
2: game and those that are left are just glad to get to the end of it and walk away weeping. Indeed. There are, of course, various tactical things that you can do. You should try to invest in those yellow properties park lane and mayfair also really bring you rewards no, no no you're doing it again giles you're slipping back into the bad old <laughs> the, ways. stop talking the about the railway stations are worth having more than the utilities there's always the excitement of you know uh, the community chest will you be uh, you know uh, sent to jail without having to pay a fine all these sort of excitements but you're right it can go on for ages and, and also got- giles don't you think the best christmas is the best social occasions full stop
3: should be about conversation that's the worst thing about Christmas no. traditions and games, is that it's forced fun is no fun. So do, you, do, you have, the, do you have no games in your house then, Mark? When well, you we just, qu- yeah, we chat and we have friends around and we do, and that's the, it's like music in pubs. A really good pub doesn't need music because a good pub is its own music and a good gathering is its own entertainment. You, there's always that tedious point when the hostess, and there's someone in our village, I won't name her, but <laughs> if she listens to this, I think she'll recognise herself, that it tends to be on New Year's Eve and we're all sitting there having a lovely time. You've had a few drinks and the conversation's flowing. And especially in the Brown, I mean, God, they share brandless genes. How can Giles Brander's family not be kings and queens of conversation? And then along comes someone who goes, I know, should we have some fun? Should we play a game? Everyone has to stop their really interesting conversation and
2: go on with bloody this board game. This is what in my family they're looking forward to some silence Christmas. <laughs> <Shut laughs> yes, we all sit there quietly playing Scrabble. So Scrabble's Scrabble
1: overtaken Monopoly, is it, in, in the house? In court. my life,
2: I'm indeed the president of the Association of British Scrabble Players. Oh, really? Because I founded the National Scrabble Championships back in 1971. I love the game of Scrabble because I love words. You can actually play a game of Scrabble in 45 minutes, and you can extend your vocabulary, and you are yeah. able to chat. And you chat across. about the words that you come up. You argue and about the all words, yes, and no, that is no, fun. fun. My favourite Scrabble word is undoubtedly yex, Y-E-X, which means... It's a short word, so useful for Scrabble. There's eight for the X, four for the... Uh, it means a hiccup. A hiccup. A yex is a hiccup. There
3: was a brilliant cartoon in The Spectator magazine a couple of years ago when Theresa May uttered the particular phrase that you'll get in a second, and it's two people playing Scrabble, and the guy's going, it's Brexit. It means Brexit. <laughs> so that the only game that I'll give Giles that is... It's fun to play because it's so simple and you can play it when you're drunk and it's fun. It's the one where you stick the post-it note with someone's name onto your forehead and everyone else can see it and you can't. So you have to guess who you are. And the Queen played this a few Christmases ago when William and Harry, I think it's when they were in their teens and they they would do something mischievous like this. They wrote the Queen on a post-it note and (laughs) stuck it on her forehead. And after about two and a half minutes, the Queen realised what was going on and she said am I me? <laughs> uh, I think she said is one
2: one yeah.
1: <laughs> if she should have done absolutely so Mark that's the only game you would ever play in your household at Christmas time is that what you're saying?
3: I think so because the rest of them are just so like I say it's, it's, it's just forced fun it's just it's the it's the opposite of fun. It's, you know the
2: best conversations just happen by themselves. You don't need anything regimented to but make you the fun. But mentioning the royal family, we know that what they love are practical jokes. They do like there are some families where they don't want to engage in you know they're not all spectator readers wanting to exchange quotations. Oh, should we, have a, should we talk about Doctor Johnson now? <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Actually, some of them just want to let their hair down mm. and play squeak piggy squeak which is one of my favourites, Moriarty. What's, what's, what's the, what's Don't. I've
3: got a suspicion that could be quite a risk. game. Okay. we shouldn't do that on the Spectator podcast. <laughs> I'm suddenly
2: realising, of course, it's no longer politically correct. Yeah. Rest assured. <laughs> maybe we'll move swiftly on. We are not any longer playing Sweet <laughs> Biggie Sweet. We are mentioning it for historical reasons. <laughs> yeah. Rather, as they say on the channel Talking Pictures, some of this material will seem dated and will have references that are stereotypical. With and attitudes of okay, a different well. way. Exactly. <laughs> are
1: you there, Moriarty? That surely is a... T- well, Ariarty
2: is great fun. What you do is you blindfold the two players. They lie on the floor. They each are given a rolled-up newspaper. One says to the other, are you there, Moriarty? And the other has to reply, yes. At which point, the person who asked the question tries to wallop them with the newspaper. Now, come on, Mark, doesn't that
1: sound fun, smacking your relatives yeah, on Christmas Day? I'm, come I'm t- on, that must I be... I don't
2: need the game for,
1: to give myself <laughs> the excuse of wanting to smack <laughs> my ten-year-old son. That comes naturally.
3: And
2: if you want to push Granny over the edge, this is the perfect
3: game to play. <laughs> Another simple game that can be fun to play is what I can never remember what they call it on. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Where you do one word at a time. Is that, has it got a name on? You know, once upon a oh, time yes. and you it builds story, up and up yes. and up. That's fun because you can do that on car journeys. You can do it, and again, it's more fun when you're drunk. That one's <laughs> quite good fun. But anything where there's a board, and rules. And a dice, and a point where someone has to pick up a rule book and go, "Ah, oh, I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that." That's when it goes wrong. And
2: it does end in arguments yeah. and tears, and we don't want too much of that Christmas, no. do we? We've got well, enough of that on its own. A, but much a nicer own.
1: tradition, Giles, that I, I know you're very keen on is, is your, your poetry tradition. That well, Can this, you speak to us
2: this goes back really to my, my father, because. As I mentioned, my my father and his siblings, they really, they had to make their own entertainment. There really wasn't other entertainment. And so they would sing songs around the piano. But one of the things they loved doing most was reciting poetry. And my father had reams of poems that he had learnt by heart as a child that they would perform at Christmas. He particularly liked the ruthless rhymes of Harry Graham. Late last night I slew my wife, laid her on the parquet flooring. I was loath to take her life, but I had to stop her snoring. (laughs) I do appreciate that most of what I say is now considered politically incorrect, but I do feel this is a spectator uh, Christmas Uh, podcast, and I'm assuming this is a safe zone. I I just hope it is. So my father learnt all these some serious ones by great poets like Tennyson and Wordsworth and Nonsense by Edward Lear and Lewis Carroll uh, right up to even later in life he learnt poems by Spike Milligan he loved all that sort of thing so I thought for this Christmas because my wife had said to me no more chocolates And my grandchildren, got seven grandchildren, ought to explain. Uh, People sometimes say to me, Giles, why at your age are you still writing? Why did you do this amusing Christmas piece for the spectator? Was it for the love of it? No, it was for the money. Not a lot of it. (laughs) But I do need the money, even at my age, because I have three children and seven grandchildren. And I've discovered over the years that money is the one thing keeping me in touch with them. So... I I love my children and they normally give me, my grandchildren, they normally give me chocolates at Christmas. But I can't have any more. My wife is saying chocolates are out. And I don't want any more socks. That's the other thing they give me. No socks, please. I'm Brandreth. And I've got all the socks I could want. So this is why I thought. I've said to each of them, would you learn me a poem for Christmas? And I've, I've actually edited a book of poetry to learn by heart called Dancing by the Light of the Moon, a phrase from the famous Howl of the Pussycat poem by Edward Lear. And I've given each of my grandchildren this book, and my grandchildren range in age from four to 15. And I've said, for Grandpa, would you learn a poem for Christmas? And these kids have all gone off and have enjoyed this is the miracle. They've enjoyed doing it. One has chosen to learn Macavity. you know that McCavity yes. is a mystery cat. He's called the hidden poor, for he's the master criminal who can defy the law. He's the bafflement of Scotland Yard, the flying squad's despair. For when they reach the scene of crime
1: Macavity's not there.
2: Exactly. You know it. Yes. You see yeah. it's inside us. So some of them have learnt that. Another one that the six year old has learnt. And this amazed me, he just chose this himself, a poem by Edna St Vincent Millet. It's called First Fig. It goes like this. I burn the candle at both ends, it will not last the night. But ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Mm. So after lunch on Christmas Day We're all going to gather around the tree And we're each going to do a poem Do you do poems? Well we don't But I've
3: I've, um, been in a professional position recently Where I was being paid to read Giles' book Obviously that's not the only reason I would ever read one of (laughs) Giles' books But I was reviewing Giles' book And excellent as of course we would all expect And the chapter I was really intrigued by Was the particularly short poems Ah. One of Giles' tips for how you can learn a poem Is to start off with really short ones And mentioned the famous one on the antiquity of fleas On the antiquity of microbes Adam Haddam. And I was expecting (laughs) to come up the poem that features in When We Were Kings, the documentary from about 20 years ago about the rumble in the jungle. And George Plimpton, the brilliant journalist who was in that, covering the fight, mentions Muhammad Ali's poem. And it was in one of the big books of quotations, Brewers or whatever it was, quoted Adam Haddam as the shortest poem ever. Mm -hmm. I thought Giles was going to mention this in the book, and he didn't. It's a rare omission from a brand book, but it's not in... Is Muhammad Ali's poem, when he was asked at some gathering once give us a poem, Ali, because he hadn't done one for a while. There wasn't a fight coming up. And he said, uh, they said, give us a poem about what it feels like to be you. And he said, me, we. No. And George Plimpton wrote to Bruce, He said, that's shorter than Adam. And then, interestingly, as said he, setting himself up for fall, if it's not interesting, Sam, Sam Leith, the literary editor of this esteemed magazine, and I had an email, email conversation a few months ago because I'd quoted me, we in something. And I'd always assumed the way George Plimpton says it in the film, he goes, me, we. And I realised watching it back, that's actually George Plimpton getting really emotional about Ali, because Ali was almost dead by the time they did the film. And he's sort of going, we, and he's about to burst into tears as he remembers Ali. And it only dawned on me when Sam put it to me that it's actually just me, we. It's, it's M-E-W-E, not oh. we as in the exciting feeling yeah, of it, as in, but down but me, slide. Yeah. we. It's not about me, it's about us. Wow. And so, and I've still not been able to track down any written version of that poem. So Sam and I still don't know
2: whether it's me, when or me. You've sorted it out. It's for you know. the next it's edition, in the paperback but next year. You make a good point there because people think, oh, I can't learn a poem; it's too much. But the truth is, anybody can learn a poem at any age. One of the things I discovered when working on the book is that the part of the brain that works the memory is called the hippocampus, and you have as many new cells growing in your hippocampus at the age of seventy as you did at the age of seventeen. And people confuse senior moments with memory loss. Senior moments are to do with retrieval, because you do actually remember what you were trying to remember with a senior moment. You just don't remember it at the right time. You've got to phone your friend at 2 in the morning saying, you remember last (laughs) night at dinner, etc. But with memory, it's just a matter of application. And the trick is to do just two lines at a time. Mm. I I will try this out on you. Okay. Repeat after me. Uh, There was a young man from Peru... There was a young man from Peru. You've got that in your head? There was a young man from Peru. And listeners to The Spectator podcast, this is good for your synapses. Give it a go too. Say it out loud. Uh, you may be in the car driving along with your headphones on. Even so, say it out loud. There was a young man from Peru. There was a young man from Peru. Second line. Whose limericks stopped at line two. Whose limericks stopped at line two. That's the end of the poem. <laughs> uh, but the point is, you've mastered it already. There was a young man from Peru whose Limerick's. limerick stopped at line two. You can remember that. Can you Absolutely, yeah. Go there was it? a
1: young man from Peru whose limerick stopped at line two.
2: So you've learnt two lines in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And if they'd been more complicated, it would have taken a matter of minutes. But you've just done it. So it shows you can learn two lines any day he'll of the week. He'll be four lines. And he'll
3: be doing roses are red, violets are blue. I'm not a poet, as you can see. And that's a nice four-liner.
2: <laughs> but so- but the, that is the point. You can learn them quickly. But if you do two lines a day for a week, inside a week, a week from today, you could have learned a sonnet. Yeah. And think of the buzz of learning a sonnet over Christmas. Absolutely. That's what The Spectator brings you.
0: That was Will Moore, Giles Brandreth and Mark Mason. And that's it from the edition for this year. We're going to take a break over Christmas, but if you find yourself missing our podcasts, why not visit Spectator Radio to find previous episodes of all our podcasts? And if you haven't yet, do pick up an issue of the Spectator's Christmas issue for Douglas Murray's interview with Tom Stoppard, Boris Johnson's diary, Lynn Barber's interview with Stanley Johnson, and much, much more. Thanks for listening, and do join us again next year.